Okay, well, uh, I am excited to be resuming Ladies Bible Study. I miss it when we don't have it. And it feels like it's been forever since November, even though it's only like two months, right? <laughs> but it just feels longer than that. Anyway, uh, so I'm glad we're back. Uh, but before we get going for tonight, I want to give a little plug for the Ladies Retreat, which is going to take the place of Ladies Bible Study next month. So it'll be February 2nd and 3rd. Uh, Friday, Saturday, so hopefully you don't have plans because you were planning to come to Ladies Bible Study, and you could go to the retreat instead. Um, it's going to um, take place in Tillamook. Stacy Eagles opened up her home for us, which is really wonderful. There's a sign-up sheet on the back table, so if you're interested in coming, I would just ask that you put your name and your email down, and we'll be sending more details as we get closer, and hopefully in this next week I will remember to send out a big announcement email to the all the ladies in the church. So anyway, I'm really looking forward to it, and I hope you all can come. Also, in uh, light of the fact that we won't be having our normal meeting next month, I decided to postpone the continuation of our study on Into the Glory of God and why we're called to glorify him till March. Um, and so instead, I decided to use this time to do what everybody does <laughs> at New Year's, and that is to give you a challenge for 2024. So the end of one year and the beginning of the next year, I think, naturally lends itself to reflection and resolution. Uh, and as December was going by, I spent a lot of time thinking about all the things that I accomplished in 2023. Uh, and to be honest, it was mostly quilt related. I made a lot of quilts in 2023. Um, but I also spent time thinking about everything that's been going on here at church um, you know, we've had the start of the discipleship groups, we've had ladies Bible study, we've had family camp, the spring Bible conference. You know, there's been a lot that has gone on here in the past year. And one of the, the highlights for me personally has been to see over the course of 2023, the number of people staying for fifth Sunday increase. Um, we couldn't believe on the last Sunday of the year on New Year's Eve, we had so many people here. We had to set up an extra table, which is like, Yay! I'm really glad to see that. It's good to see that people want to spend time with the people at church. It's really good to see. <clears throat> and um, in doing all my thinking about 2023, like most people, I started thinking about 2024 and what I wanted to accomplish. Uh, Geneva and Tiffany put up with me. They could tell you um, my thinking about 2024 involved me taking about 55 quilt kits and piling them on the dining room table and figuring out what I wanted to do. Um, so it took up a lot of space and a lot of time, and they were very gracious. Uh, I'm sure that you have probably thought about resolutions or goals, or at the very least, uh, things that you'd like to get to in 2024, things that you want to do or, or see. Maybe you've set goals for your health. Uh, like exercising more, eating healthier foods. Maybe you have a financial goal of some of some kind. You want to save more money or spend less or something. Um, if you're more spiritually minded, maybe you've thought about increasing the amount of time you spend in prayer uh, or in reading your Bible. Maybe you decided you wanted to read a commentary or a theology or a biography of a of a you know Christian saint from the past. Um, and all of those things are really good things to want to do or to resolve to do. Many of them we should be doing, as we heard last Sunday. Mr. Copper challenged us to do them better if we're already doing them. So these kinds of resolutions are important and needed, and 
there are things that we should desire to do and aspire to accomplish in 2024. But there was one thing that struck me about New Year's resolutions this year as I was reflecting on my own, and that is that my New Year's resolutions, or as I prefer to call mine, I prefer to call them goals <laughs> rather than resolutions, um, they're all about me. Uh, I mean, they're focused on self-improvement. Uh, it's not a bad thing or something to be ashamed about. In fact, we're commanded to improve ourselves, spiritually speaking, at least. The Bible tells us that we should become more mature as believers, that we should seek to improve. Paul rebuked the Corinthians because they weren't doing that. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verses 1-3 through 3 says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there is envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? So he was getting after them because they had not improved, they had not grown. Um, as believers. Paul also prayed uh, for many of the churches, and we have a lot of those prayers recorded, that they would continue to grow to improve, if you will, in their faith and their love. For example, uh, Philippians, this is one of my favorite ones, Philippians chapter 1. Verses 9 through 11. Paul prayed for the Philippians. Uh, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Um, there are a lot of other examples that we could look at, but I think these two are sufficient to, to make my point. We ought to commit ourselves to increasing our spiritual maturity. But sometimes I think we miss an important element of increasing our spiritual maturity, which is that it doesn't happen in a vacuum. Spiritual maturity is not just a matter between you and God. It requires the involvement of other people, of their involvement in your life and your involvement in their lives. And it's this last part that I want to focus in on tonight. I want to challenge you not only to make a resolution to improve your spiritual maturity, but to help others improve theirs. In 2024, Look for and then actually take opportunities to consider others, how you can encourage them and exhort them and spur them on in their growth. The Bible talks a lot about how and why um, spiritual growth and spiritual maturity is not just a personal private matter, but a corporate one. So we're going to take a look at just a few of them. There are many, 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 but the ones I chose are very familiar um, to us for the most part, and I hope that we can look at them with fresh eyes tonight and see that they apply not just to us as individuals, um, but to us as a group of believers. So the first one is Romans 12. Uh, Romans 12, starting in verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, 
So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophecy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So immediately after uh, urging us to present ourselves as sacrifices to God, which is our reasonable service to him, and to transform our thinking so that we can prove the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, Paul describes what it looks like to do that. And what he describes is not the life of an individual believer, but how believers are to relate to one another in the church, especially in the use of their gifts. The exercise and the use of spiritual gifts is oriented towards others. You can see that in this passage. Um, As individuals seeking to serve God, to present ourselves as a sacrifice to him, we each have a different gift or set of gifts and a different function in the body. As a collection of people, we are one body in Christ. And so each of us as individuals cannot be separated from the others. I'm a member of you and you are a member of me. As I use my gift for your benefit and you use yours for mine, We serve the Lord, not only as individuals, but as one body in Christ. In light of God's mercies, which includes uniting us as individuals with Christ, it is a reasonable service not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought, but to use our gifts to promote the growth of the other members of the body. The second uh, passage is in Galatians chapter 6. Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. But here we're called to bear one another's burdens, specifically the burden of sin. There are believers, Paul tells us here, who are overtaken by their sin and they can't see a way to escape from it. It's the responsibility of the mature believer to help those caught by their sin and to do so with gentleness. Now, I'm sure that at least some of you immediately thought of (laughs) confrontation and Matthew 18, the process of church discipline. There is a place for that and one, honestly, I don't think we use as often as we should. Um, But the church discipline process is initiated for those who aren't repentant Um, they are refusing to repent from their sin. But what about those who do repent, who are struggling with a sin that they want to get rid of? How do we help those people? It's not like their struggles with sin just disappear because they've repented of it. So, um, you know, I, I think that's why Paul uses the language of coming alongside, bearing their burdens with them. Uh, we have to help one another do the hard work of putting off unrighteousness and putting on un- unrighteousness, not just call them to repentance and then go on to find the next sinner that we can call to repentance. Um, we have to do this hard work with them, and it is hard work with a lot of heartache involved a lot of times. But when we do it, we're fulfilling the law of Christ. In other words, um, when we bear one another's burdens in this way, We are fulfilling the law of love, which seeks the good of others above all. And what could be of greater benefit to somebody than to help him or her become more like Christ by putting off their sin and learning how to be more righteous? 
The second, or the third, excuse me, is Ephesians chapter 4. So, just one book over. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effect of working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. I think we're used to um, thinking of spiritual maturity as an individual effort. I am working on becoming spiritually mature, and you are working on it too. At least I hope you are. <laughs> but Paul tells us that we are being equipped for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Not so that each of us as individual believers would not be carried away uh, or carried about by every wind of doctrine or deceived and would grow up into mature believers, but that we could as a whole body grow up into all things in Christ so that the whole body would work effectually together to cause the growth of the whole body so that it could edify itself in love. So the work of the ministry is not to equip me to edify myself, but to equip me to edify each of you. And as each of us is so equipped, we ought to see the increasing maturity of our church as a whole. Um, we don't have time to, to look at it, but we have good and bad examples of this in the seven letters to Revelation where the whole church was either commended for its maturity or rebuked for its immaturity. So the Lord is concerned not only about our own individual maturity, but about the maturity of the church as a whole. Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, next, we have 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Apologies in advance to Judy and Betty because they heard this bit already. First <laughs> uh, Thessalonians 5:14 through 19 says, "Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all." Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. We've been hearing a lot about the work of the Holy Spirit recently, and I hope that you have been finding it as helpful as I have been. It's been really good. Um, but I confess that when I hear messages or sermons about not quenching the Spirit, I tend to apply it very narrowly uh, to myself only. And then I get a little wary about becoming too mystical and wandering off into like these weird leadings of the spirit that are just coming from myself and not really from him. Um, so it's it's helpful to come to a passage like this. It's it's very reassuring. The Holy Spirit does work, and I don't want to discount the mysterious ways that he sometimes works. But um, we see here quite clearly, I think, one of his main methods for working, and that is through the words and the actions and even the attitudes of believers towards one another. Um, 
when we fail to warn those who are unruly or rebellious, when we fail to comfort the faint-hearted, when we fail to uphold the weak or to be patient with all, um, when we when we are not involved in each other's lives, that's when we quench the spirit. Um, he cannot do his work effectively in the lives of others when we are not submitted to him in doing these things for each other. I say this to myself as well as saying it to you, but how often do you see somebody struggling or hurting and think to yourself, oh, I hope the Lord will bring them comfort. Maybe even pray about it. I, you know, I pray for that person that they'll find comfort, that they'll find the help that they need, but you don't do anything about it other than pray. Um, I, I know I do that a lot to my shame. I do that a lot. Uh, every time I keep my mouth shut and every time I don't reach out to help that person, I'm quenching the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I, <laughs> the Holy Spirit is the comforter. But he doesn't provide comfort just sort of nebulously. He doesn't just give you a feeling of comfort. He uses his people to bring that comfort to you. He uses us. So if you don't want to quench the spirit, if you want to see his work in your life, and if you want to see his work in the lives of those around you, if you want to see his work at Trinity Bible Church, these are the things that we're called to do for one another. Um, we're called to warn, to comfort, to uphold, and to be patient with all. Titus chapter 2. Verses 1 through 8. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Sound doctrine and good works go hand in hand. You can't have good works apart from sound doctrine, and sound doctrine must necessarily result in good works. But these things require teaching, and they require modeling. Um, so that those who are older and who are more spiritually mature should be taking those who are younger and less mature under their wing and teaching them and showing them what it looks like to live that way. And the reason that Paul gives for, for doing that is an interesting one. Uh, it's so that the word of God would not be blasphemed. And I thought about that, and I was like, that's, that's sort of weird. Um, but this is the this is the conclusion that I came to, that it's it's God's word that tells us who God is, and it tells us about his ways. It tells us what God has done for us, what he is doing in us, and what he will do at the end of days. But if our doctrine and our conduct do not match that message that we find in God's word, then there is occasion for God's word to be blasphemed, to be ridiculed and derided is just foolishness. If we seek to glorify God, um, to bring him glory rather than ridicule and shame, then we ought to make sure that we help one another live and conduct ourselves in such a way that we adorn the doctrine of God, that our lives show the beauty of his character and his ways. 
Next, we come to Hebrews chapter 10. Verses 24 and 25. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The time is short. God grants us so many days, and then we're gone. And when we know our time is short, and the more we know how short it is, the things that are important to us become urgent. And the things that aren't important become irrelevant to us. Now, we know that the time of Jesus' return approaches. It's coming, and it's coming at any moment. The important thing in light of his imminent return isn't that we focus on ourselves and seek to improve ourselves, but that we consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, and that we don't forsake together, uh, gathering together uh, for that purpose. Our future victory, which will be realized at the second coming, should motivate us to spend time and effort helping one another grow in love and complete the good works that God has prepared for us to do. We shouldn't be complacent about our coming glorification or the coming glorification of those around us, but zealous to see each other grow and become as mature and fruitful as possible. Jesus is coming again. So how could you help another believer prepare for that day? That's what we're to consider. How can we do that? Next, 1 Peter. We're taking a tour. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. We're called to use our gifts for others because they are gifts. God has graciously given each of us at least one gift, maybe more, and each one is unique in its design and expression because we are unique. We're called to be good stewards of his grace, to use his gifts as he would use them for the benefit of the recipients. Whether you have a speaking gift like teaching or encouragement or a service gift like hospitality or mercy or giving, you're a good steward of it only insofar as you use it to magnify and share God's grace to you with others. In doing so, you glorify God by showing what he is like and how he deals with his people. So no matter how insignificant you think your gift might be, it glorifies God when you use it faithfully to minister to his people. It's being a good steward of the gift that he has given you. First John chapter three, the last three that are we're going to look at are all in first John. So we don't have far to turn. First John chapter three, verses 16 through 18. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need 
and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. God's love is self-sacrificing. It seeks the good of others without regard to the cost for himself. That is the kind of love that abides in us once we're saved. If it abides in us, it should manifest itself in how we love one another. Our focus should shift from inward towards ourselves to outward towards other people. We're called to love in deed and in truth. Our actions and our attitudes ought to match what we say. God's love, a self-giving love that looks out for the interests of others, abides in us now, and we should make it evident by how we live that, that that's the kind of love that fills our hearts. God's love cannot be contained and hidden. It shows itself. It must show itself. And if it lives in us, it's apparent that it does because it comes up in how we treat one another. Next, 1 John 4, 10 and 11. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So loving one another uh, is the only response that is appropriate to the love that God has shown us. God's love is love for the unworthy, as Pastor Will has been telling us. Uh, we could even say it's love for the unworthiest. He loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. If that is how he loved us, that's how we ought to love one another or why we ought to love one another. It is the fitting response to the love that he has given us. When you consider God's love for you and amazing grace that he has shown to you, you might think, Lord, how could I ever possibly thank you for all that you have done for me? Well, John tells us right here. <laughs> you love one another. You think about other people and how you can serve them. And then finally, 1 John 5, 1 through 3. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So as we close out this section, we come to the simplest reason of all that we're to consider one another and to seek to help one another become more mature and grow, and that's because we're commanded to do so. If you want to obey God, then you must do these things. If you aren't really sure if you love God's children, you can simply ask yourself, am I keeping his commandment? Many of which we've looked at tonight. If you love God, it is natural that you should obey him. And if you obey him, then you love his children by doing all these things, considering one another, bearing one another's burdens, teaching one another how to live godly lives, ministering to one another in a way that fits their need and condition. And we have this beautiful assurance. It is an assurance that his commandments are not burdensome. You will find liberty and joy and peace in obeying these commands, even when it's hard, even when the situation is difficult and you're dealing with people who are hurting and who have hurt you. You will find those things because you'll find that your love for God and for his people grows the more that you obey him. So these are just a few of the passages we could look at, even in the in the Old Testament. Um, the word of God teaches us about this. For example, the law of Moses instructs the people of Israel how to look out for one another. Proverbs is chock full of ways that we are called to look out for the interests of others. And it tells us that is the path of wisdom. That actually would be a good study sometime. <laughs> we should do that. 
But um, before I close, I, I want to take a few minutes to address some objections to the challenge I'm giving you, uh, which, in Mr. Cowper's words, is to take responsibility for others in 2024. <laughs> uh, the, uh, the first objection is this. I don't have the time. Right. This is probably the reason, or dare I say, excuse uh, that most of us have for not making this a priority. Many of us work or have responsibilities to which we've committed ourselves. And we ought to keep those commitments and those responsibilities. The Bible is very clear about that. But I bet that most of us have more spare time than we think we do. Um, time that we spend on ourselves, that we keep in reserve to do the things that we want to do. Um, we can make a lot of excuses for it, too. Uh, like for me, I have 32 quilts that I want to make this next year. So I, you know, I've got to dedicate time to doing that if I want to get them all done. Um, or maybe I've been working all day and I need a break. I just need some me time, some quiet time to relax. Or maybe I'm just going to spend a few minutes on social media on the platform of my choice. And then, oops, three hours has gone by, right? <laughs> whatever, whatever your reason is, we all have a myriad of reasons, um, for, for, why we don't have the time. But I'm sure that you have more time than you want to admit because I have more time than I want to admit. And there's nothing wrong, don't get, you know, don't take it this the wrong way, there's nothing wrong with relaxing and having fun or in, enjoying hobbies. Um, but in light of the day that is approaching, in light of Christ's return, shouldn't we spend more time on the people that we're going to spend eternity with? Shouldn't that be important to us? But maybe your objection um, is that you have other responsibilities that fill your time, even biblical responsibilities that fill your time. Um, to that, I would say this, uh, that spending your time on others is also a biblical responsibility. And God expects us to fulfill all of our responsibilities. Yes, there are times in our lives when one responsibility may take precedence over others. But it doesn't mean that you have the license um, to neglect or to abdicate the rest of your responsibilities. For those of us who are single, um, Paul says that we've been given a special gift and a special opportunity to work on this in ways that other people can't, that we have a special chance to help our fellow believers grow and mature. So it's, it's, um, it's time that we start thinking about it, I think, in that way, especially those of us who are single, and I'm really preaching to myself here, so I start thinking about it that way as an opportunity to embrace and to rejoice in that this is the good work that God has given me to do at this time in my life. The next objection um, is this, perhaps. I don't know what my gift is. And this one can be tricky. If serving one another means using our gifts, don't we have to know what the gift is? And the short answer is yes, we do. <laughs> but the longer answer and one which I hope will be helpful to you is um, is this, that our gifts are meant to be used in service to others. And if you wait to get involved in others' lives until you know what your gift is, you won't ever get involved in others' lives um, because you'll never know what your gift is. I think the only exception to this is the apostles because the Lord himself called them to be apostles and told them, this is what you're, what you're going to do. This is your gift. The rest of us have to find out uh, what our gift or our gifts are the hard way by jumping in and seeking to serve one another. Um, some of you may be at different points in the in the um, discipleship group book, but we had a lesson on Barnabas, and that was very helpful. You know, Barnabas didn't know what his gift was right away, 
but he just started helping people. And as he did that, as he got involved in people's lives, the Lord made it clear what his gifts were. And it's the same for us. Um, the Holy Spirit will make it apparent to others and to you what your gifting is only insofar as you become involved in the life of the church and in the life of the believers of the church. You won't, you're not going to get a message from on high, you know, t telling you what it is. You have to actually jump in and get involved and do the work. And as you do that, you know, you'll start, you'll start to see others will start to see and can come alongside you and help you, uh, and use your gift in the way that is best for the church. The final objection, I don't know who needs help or who needs to be ministered to. And this final objection has the simplest solution of all of them. Um, but I think it's also the one that is the hardest to do, at least sometimes. If you don't know who needs help or who needs to be ministered to, you have to ask them. You have to find out. You have to talk to people. You have to be interested in them. You have to look for ways to help. You have to be on the watch for needs. Do you have a skill or an ability that could be useful for other people in the church? Let them know that you have that and that you're willing and eager to help them. Um, the more opportunity you look for to serve, the more opportunity you're going to find. Remember that God has prepared good works for you to do. So go do them. <laughs> go find them and do them. Most of us aren't called to do great and mighty things as we think about them. You know, we're not called to go to third world countries and plant churches. And we're not called to, you know, have a, a great ministry like John MacArthur or Nancy Lee DeMoss or anything like that. We just have quiet, quiet lives in our own little corners. But um, we're called to serve one another and to minister to one another, to put others' interests above our own right here at Trinity Bible Church. That means we have to spend time together. It means we have to get to know one another more than just on Sunday morning with the, you know, I've got my church face on. I hope you have a good week routine that we do. And we stick to it because it's safe and it's easy and it's comfortable. But guess what? You can do it. You can, you can find out what people need and you can help meet that need. You can reach out to others. You can open up your heart and your time and your life to the people in this church to meet the needs that you will find in the way that the Holy Spirit equips and leads you. So it's 2024. It's a new year, another chance for you to improve yourself, to grow into a more mature disciple of Christ. Just remember that becoming a more mature disciple includes serving and ministering to others. Your maturity and their maturity depends on that. So my challenge to you is to make one of your New Year's resolutions to obey or to obey more, <laughs> the charge that Paul gives to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 2. Oh, I wrote it out. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have placed each one of us here in your perfect plan, that uh, you know that we all need each other. And I just ask that in 2024, in the, in the year to come, and even in the years to come, that we would look to serve one another, that we would look to minister to one another, that we would seek to see the growth and maturity of the believers that we find here at this church. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <laughs>